Thanks for following along the second season of Crime Beat. And thanks so much to the listeners who have supported our sponsor, the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. I've seen shows there several times, and it's a great night out. In January, they will have a new play, the very dark comedy Arsenic and Old Lace. There will be more details and a discount code later in this episode. So thank you to the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. If you're a true crime fan, you should check out the Mugshot podcast, which is hosted by my friend Lindsay. You've heard the stories of bloody murder and horrendous homicide. But what about the rest of the crimes people fall victim to every day? What about the burglar who broke into famous people's homes? What happened to the forensic chemist that falsified evidence? Who are the fraudsters, arsonists, stalkers, hackers, and more? I'm Lindsay, the host of Mugshot. Mugshot is a true crime podcast bringing you stories of the non-murderous crimes you didn't know you needed to hear. Be sure to find Mugshot on your favorite podcatcher and on all social media outlets at the handle at MugshotPod. But until then, stay out of trouble or you may end up pictured in your very own Mugshot. And here's Crime Beat. Some of the descriptions, details, and language in this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. We've got a bonus for Crime Beat listeners today. I know it sounds crazy, but I get up most days before the crack of dawn. I walk in a loop around our neighborhood for exercise, and I listen to podcasts. My first listen every Monday morning is Crime Writers On. It's a show about other shows. They talk about true crime podcasts, documentaries, Netflix shows, anything and everything relating to crime and popular culture. It's fun because they sound like how my friends and I talk. It's informative because they know so much about podcasting. On October 21st, I got to talk with one of the stars of Crime Writers On, Rebecca Lavoie. She's got a day job as the digital director at New Hampshire Public Radio. She and her husband, Kevin Flynn, along with Laura Bricker and Toby Ball, host Crime Writers On. Rebecca also hosts and contributes to several other podcasts, including Undisclosed, These Are Their Stories, and Married With Podcast. I thought the Crime Beat audience might enjoy hearing from Rebecca. We talk about the Kathy Torres case and some of the greatest true crime podcasts of all time. Don't worry, the next episode of Crime Beat Season 2, Mom vs. Murderer, will be released in its usual spot next Thursday morning. So here's my conversation with Rebecca. Rebecca. Hey, Keith, how are you? Good. Is it really good? you? Is it still a good time? <laughs> yeah, this is a great time. I know you a little bit just through social media because you listen to Crime Writers On, apparently. And in preparation for this conversation, I went back and looked at your bio and read all your bona fides, as they say. And you're a legit journalist. What the hell are you doing listening to our stupid podcast every week? <laughs> you know, I have to say that in the world of true crime, this is a bucket list event for me to talk <laughs> with you. I am such a Crime Writers On listener. I listen so much and so intently that I deserve a free pair of Rothy's. <laughs> uh, um, I, uh, so my son wakes up every morning at six on the dot. I take the two hours before that to have to myself, and that's my podcast listening time. I walk 
in in the dark in the neighborhood, uh, listening to Crime Writers on every Monday uh, like clockwork. So um, yes, I'm a I'm a big fan. Uh, I I learn a lot from listening to your show, and the other good thing is I've listened so much it feels like you guys are my friends. That's the way my <laughs> friends and I talk about podcasts and true crime. Tell me about your transition from just print work to podcasting for the Orange County Register. Like, what have the challenges been? What do you like about making the podcast? And what do you hate about making the podcast? Um, so, it, auspicious debut. Um, I In 2015, like like you said, I, I had been around the world as a writer. Um, and I had never listened to a podcast. So... My wife got me the beautiful Nancy Gill. Shout out to Nancy. Um, got me a, uh, <laughs> Good job. A, an iPhone for Christmas. And, you know, when you turn on an iPhone the, for the first time, and you see your, your home screen. There's a little purple icon that says podcast. And yep. I clicked on it. And coincidentally, the very first podcast that came up was Accused. Now, oh really? Yeah. So well, it begins with A. They I were very I smart. Thought, I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was alphabetical. There's a lot of A's in this story, Amber and Amy. But anyway, I uh, I clicked on it, and it was like the parting of the Red Sea. Like the there were angels singing. This is what I want to do. This is mm. deep dive narrative. It was. I was lucky that Amber was Amber Hunt. Who, became, yeah. who now became a friend of mine and I, I know is a friend of yours. Oh, yeah. Is a, is a reporter who, uh, you know, worked her ass off to get that story. It was a cold case. It was murder. It was, it, it was incredible. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is great. But the number one thing was at the end of the podcast, she thanked her editor, Amy Wilson. And Amy Wilson and I used to sit next to each other at the Orange County Register. Amy Wilson wow. was a reporter for years. So I called up Amy and I said, tell me about this podcast thing. And Amy was, you know, is, is terrific. And she's working on a million podcasts now. She worked with Amber all these years. And she convinced me, you ought to get the Orange County Register to do this. And I thought, I know this bank heist story. This would be incredible. So I... <laughs> Amber gave me a, a little hint. She said that when she started her podcast, she recorded in her walk-in closet. And <laughs> so I got some equipment and set it up in my walk-in closet. And I, I think you saw a picture I posted on social media of me in my closet last week. Um, and so that's what I do. I record in my walk-in closet and then I send it all off to our sound guy, Kevin Sablon, who does a great job with music and stuff. And I'm learning. I'm learning as I go. I'm learning as I as I listen to you. So what is different? This is the thing we talk about a lot on the show, like how you have to pivot. Writing for audio is very different than writing for print, right? It it is. The the thing well, about I was thinking about this driving in. Um newspapers are fleeting. We start new every day, and that's kind of that's what we do. We get the paper, we finish, and we throw it away, and we're on to the next story. It seems like with podcasting, it's a sustained effort. You're telling yeah. the same story, and, and, and 
Plus, as I heard you talk about this morning in your in the show about startup, there's there's you have to reach out. You have to you have to talk to advertisers. I'm I'm talking at colleges all the time now about podcasting. You have to. There's a certain amount of selling that goes into it that a lot of times journalists aren't comfortable with. You hit it right on the head this morning. Everyone asks me when I talk to uh, potential advertisers, how many people listen? While I have incredible editors inside the building, uh, Frank Pine and Todd Harmonson, who support me 100%, we've got to sell it. You know, it's got to be a viable thing in order to go forward. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you just can't predict what's going to happen. But the thing about podcasts that's so amazing in terms of journalism is that your story, the one that would have just, you know, lived once and then kind of moved along with the news cycle, can live forever in this thing that people continue to discover. This is what we found at NHPR with Bear Brook, right? Like, the story is continuing to be discovered because it lives there now in this one package that people can find. It's like having, you know, I think about Aaron Brockovich, the movie all the time, when I try to describe to people why this kind of journalism, I think, really could transform journalism. Um, even if episodes of The Daily that talk about day turn stories in The New York Times, there are people listening to The Daily who are just discovering it today who are going to go back and listen to the last two weeks worth of episodes. And they're going to hear stories that they would not have read in The New York Times. And those will now will live forever in this feed and continue to be discovered. I think there's just like a huge amount of opportunity there. And aside from the sales side, which is challenging and it's hard for, I think, journalists to get over that. And also hard to, depending on what tools you're using, predict who's going to listen to your podcast. It is journalistically valuable if you have a story that you think deserves to live forever and be listened to forever and be discovered forever. Like, this is the way to tell it. Right. I, I use all the tools. Um, I In the case of the uh, Kathy Torres this season of Crime Beat, I wrote Freedom of Information Act requests to local police departments so I could get access to the file. And when I showed up, they gave me a box of old cassette tapes that I had to figure out, first of all, how am I going to play these? Like VHS uh, <laughs> tapes of uh, video and then cassette tapes that, you know, we, <laughs> to varying degrees of success, we were able to hear all these old uh, interviews. But you, you've got to use all the skills that you that you've accumulated over the years, I have to walk up and and have uncomfortable conversations uh, with people knocking on their door. And um, when, when you find a good one, like I found in Kathy Torres's case, uh, it, it should live forever. We sometimes hear from people who make podcasts, and it's like the most delightful and most horrifying um, thing that they hear all the time. But like, mostly delightful, when podcasters say that when they're making their show, they're sort of anticipating what we might say about it when they make it. Like, am I am I sort of following these conventions that I'm hearing always get, like, picked apart <laughs> Crime Writers On? 100%. And, um, it is so funny that you're aware of that because there is a voice in my head. So <laughs> I have a spot in the – I have a spot in the beginning, in episode one, where I'm sitting outside uh, – on the street where Kathy Torres lived. And I'm kind of riffing about how I'm feeling, what it must have been like 25 years ago. And I'm thinking, Rebecca Lavoie says, don't get too flowery. You can't <laughs> use 
colorful language and stuff. And so I'm going, I'm breaking the fucking rule right off the jump. But I, but I did it anyway, and it's in there. And Toby, who reviewed it for Vulture, liked that part. So, mm. so that's, you know, I got, I got that going for me. As long as you're not talking about wind chimes that look like and sound like angels, I think you're going to be fine. <laughs> you did, what was the episode that you guys did where you analyzed the sound that happens between uh, the voices? Uh, I think it was the clearing where you mm. said it was the greatest. What you used a term, and I forget what it was. Was it ambient sound or something like that? There's some kind of like technique, and so our guy. Uh, Kevin Sablon listened to that episode, and since then, it's it's kind of informed the way that we do sound. Do you remember? Your... Was it about? Is it about the clearing specifically? I think so. You were, hmm. you were noticing that the sound was so great in that. I, I think it was the music, or maybe the the ambient stuff that they picked up. Not the footsteps, by the way, where. <laughs> Whenever you're walking up somewhere, you put footsteps like they do in... Boots on gravel. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, can, I can quote back what you say all the time. Yeah. I really do like when you hear stuff, you know, the because, you know, the rule of thumb when you're doing radio is you roll all the time. You do roll when you're getting out of the car. You do roll when you're walking up somewhere. You do roll when you're knocking on the door. It doesn't mean you have to use it. Um, but I learned this early on, and this kind of informs my decision-making about, like, what should and shouldn't be in a story. There was a story that a reporter here at NHPR did where she was going to interview somebody at their house. And I believe it was a politician, somebody who's, like, a little bit controversial. And she walked up to his house and rang the doorbell. And when he came on his porch, he saw a mouse on his porch. And he immediately picked up a broom and just, like, squashed the mouse. And then you hear him flinging it away. And it was live. He just sort of squashed it to stop it from running. And you hear him flinging it away into the yard. And you hear on the tape the little, wee, the mouse, like, squealing. as <laughs> And it was such a way, the reason to include it was because the story was sort of about how this, like, unconventional guy does his business at the statehouse or whatever. And she had this piece of tape that showed that, like, in front of a reporter, he had no problem just, like, smacking a mouse with a broom and flinging it across the yard and then just, like, moving on with the interview. <laughs> it sounds almost and, like there should be a podcast about the death of that mouse. Yeah, exactly. But if it's character establishing or scene establishing or important, keep it. If it's just precious, cut it. <laughs> uh, well, Keith, it's been wonderful talking to you. I can't believe you use Crime Writers On as your playbook, but keep doing it. <laughs> hey, and tell other people have- to listen. <laughs> I want to have woke cynicism. I don't know what woke cynicism is, but I want to have it because you say it every time to introduce Toby Ball. I think it's like he's cynical about stuff and also uses the word African-American a lot. So <laughs> I, I think uh, I think he just he's a, he's a heightened awareness of issues, you know, beyond race issues. He's a heightened awareness of not only issues, but how as a white guy he will be perceived talking about those issues. And he's really sensitive about it, which I like. Right. And so I would I'm uncomfortable enough having a podcast with four white people who live in one state that's insulated from like most of the world. So the idea that we have, you know, Laura, who's from 
admittedly, like this cloistered lifestyle in upstate Vermont, you know, growing up in the Northeast Kingdom, like with horses and no TV. And then we also have Toby, who has like the sort of broader worldview. And then, you know, you have Kevin, who is a journalist, and me, who's just all over the place. Like, it's a good combo. We do the best we can with what we have, you know? You guys are so New Hampshire. I think <laughs> you were suspects in the disappearance of Maura Murray. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? You know what is the leading suspect in the disappearance of Moore Murray? Winter. That's right, what the leading go. suspect there is. You go. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. Obviously, it's a very right. sad story. It's I do, exactly. but the idea that it could be anything other than weather still confounds me. Here's the special offer from the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts: buy one ticket to Arsenic and Old Lace, get one free. Use the promo code AntBogo. A U N T B O G O. Enter the code before selecting your seats. Valid on all performances of Arsenic and Old Lace. Offer good on full price tickets only. Tickets are available at LaMiradaTheater.com. Don't miss Broadway's classic killer comedy, Arsenic and Old Lace. Combining murder and mayhem with zany humor, Arsenic and Old Lace is an uproaring comedy that gives hospitality a bad name. Opens January 24th through February 16th. Tickets at LaMiradaTheater.com. So I have a couple questions for you. Are you ready? Do it. Will you admit that Southern California is the true crime capital of the United States? We have <laughs> the Black Dahlia, Manson, mm-hmm. the Night Stalker, OJ, Dirty John, Man in the Window, To Live and Die in L.A., and Keith Morrison lives here. All right. Well, To Live and Die in L.A. is trash. So take that one off the table. Um. As far as like infamous true crime stories and like, yeah, but it's the same way that the East Coast is the, you know, weather capital of the world, even though it isn't, because that's where all the news people are. So I think that the reason why the West Coast is the true crime capital of the world is because the storytellers are... It's not because all the stories are there. It's because all the storytellers are there. You know what I mean? Ah, perfect. Yeah. So I think that has a huge part to do with it. And there is something really weird about California in that, you know, what's weird about it is that, you know, just just how it was settled, the timing where it was settled, the sort of development of it is just so different that like so much, I think, of the crime and the culture and, you know, the big events that happen there are just tied to like the founding story of, of that part of the country. So, yeah, I'll give you that one. I'll give it to you. But it also is because the storytellers are there. Okay. Uh, is In the Dark better than Serial? Hmm. Better? Yes. It's better. It's uh, less Im- – I, I would say time will say – time will tell and um, that it may end up being more important. It is currently less important because without Serial, there would be no In the Dark. But it is better. Serial is um, disappointing journalistically. Uh, it's It has not aged well in a way that In the Dark will. In the Dark will age very well because it's just so journalistically sound. And Serial, you think about the sort of false premise of the story that Sarah set up. And, you know, I'm a huge fan. So, like, I say this as Chris's criticism that I say, also acknowledging that I love it. And um, I would listen to it again if it came out again. But... The false premise of either it's Adnan or Jay, either Adnan's lying or Jay's lying, or either Adnan is a psychopath or he's innocent, like, those are false 
premises. They're like, it's a false framing device for the story. It's so much bigger than that. And in the fact, the fact that they reported on a story involving law enforcement in Baltimore and just assumed good faith on the side of law enforcement, like they, they should have known better. They should have known better. So that leads to the next question. Who killed Heyman Lee? I don't know. I can honestly say that. I don't even have... I mean, I have opinions. I My opinion would be that, you know, as unlikely as it is, it's, it's unlikely to be a stranger. Because just statistically, most people are not killed by strangers. However, there were a couple of active killers in the area at the time, one of which was targeting young Asian women. So that can't be taken off the table. Um, I am, like positive that Adnan Syed didn't do it. I'm positive he didn't. I think it could have been someone else she knew. I don't think Jay did it or was involved in it in any way. I really don't. So I don't I don't know for sure. I don't ha- I have opinions, but honestly, like if there were a mystery that could be solved besides whether or not aliens have visited the planet Earth, that would be the one I would want to solve. All right. Now this is going to be your favorite question that I ask you. What is the best British detective series on Netflix? Ooh. Oh, can I cheat and look and see what's on Netflix? There are, oh my God, that's so good. Um, let's see. I'll tell you. I will say. My favorite. Go ahead, tell me yours. My favorite is Luther. Luther's very good. It's so scary. It is, yeah. The 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 killers are next level in Luther. Yeah. Yeah, it's also very fantastical. Like, it's uh, very heightened, you know? Right. Um, it's like if you like Sherlock, you would like Luther. It has yeah, that sort of Sherlock's very on the list too. Yeah. Yeah. But, but Broadchurch. I'm looking. I Broadchurch is fine. I think the first the first season was very strong. Um, it's very difficult because like it kind of takes some tangents later that don't quite stand up to me. I'm trying to see what else. Oh, Happy Valley. Happy period. Valley. Enough said. Happy Valley is almost perfect. It is so dark. Yeah, uh, the performances are so incredible. It is the one show that you know. I wish there were like five more seasons of it. I would watch all of it. It is so, so, so good. That's true. All right. Uh, lastly, I'm going to give you our list. We, uh, in preparation for the release of uh, season two of Crime Beat, we put out our list of the top ten true crime deep dive narrative podcasts of all time. Okay. I- so I want you to uh, react. I'll just go down the list. And you tell me the first thing that pops into your head. Number 10, murder book. I don't know it. Probably <laughs> probably biased because uh, L.A. Uh, okay. Number nine, The Thing About Pam, Keith Morrison. Oh, uh, groundbreaking, game-changing, uh, the first ever quality, well-reported, guilty pleasure true crime podcast. Number eight, Gladiator. Great combination of team enterprise reporting and audio. And another thing, it pulled together a story that was reported and over and will commemorate it and make it live forever in that format. Really well done. Number seven, Accused. Oh, one of my favorites of all time. Amber Hunt is the Nancy Drew of... Of, of of audio storytellers in the journalism space. She, her tenaciousness, her inability to not let the listener in on her process and her thinking and her connection and emotional investment in the story absolutely makes that podcast stand out. And she talks like a sailor, which uh, she does. I enjoy. Uh, I love it too. Someone Knows Something Season 3, 
the one where he goes back to the South. Did you hear that one, David Ridgen? I tried. I got to be honest. I find the writing and someone knows something. It's a barrier for me. But I can tell you, David Ridgen works really, really hard. Uh, He is really, really earnest. He's really, really smart. He just has a style that, to me, takes away from the journalism. Okay. Number five, Dirty John. Oh, what an interesting pick. Dirty John is not, like, on its face, a great podcast. It's a series of two-way interviews and a repeat of the same format of a print series. However, it is really one of the first podcasts I listened to in this space that is 100% water cooler fodder. Like, the oh shit moments just keep coming. And it it does open, like, a really interesting conversation about... The domestic, the domestic abuse, uh, coercive control, and the continuing narrative that the person who is being controlled and abused is somehow to blame for the situation that they find themselves in. It's a really interesting story with the most unrelatable characters in any true crime podcast I've ever listened to. And that includes the one about the crazy people collecting big cats. <laughs> and the surprise ending. Uh, That's right. Number four serial season one. Enough said. Oh, yeah. Yeah. None of us would be here without that. Correct. Uh, in the Dark, season one, number three. So I got both In the Darks ahead of Serial. Yeah, I have to say, I think that that's correct ranking if you're going by greatness. Um, I think that's the that ranking is correct. Is Both seasons of In the Dark are better than Serial. They are. They just are. Serial's more important, as I said, but In the Dark is better. Season one was such an interesting journalistic moment because they had to change their whole narrative based on a break in the case. I believe they would have broken the case if that case had not broken before they reported the story. I really do. I think they were going to solve it. That's when I fell in love with Madeline. Uh, She, I remember one scene in which she's looking for some file and the cops are telling her that there's no file, it doesn't exist. And she says, what about that right there? And the file is sitting at the bottom of a file cabinet. And she just pulls it on him. And it's just, it's incredible reporting. She's the best. Yeah. She's the best. And her team, what I love about In the Dark is you hear and you know, because you work in a newsroom, you know what it takes to pull together a great story. You know that sometimes you go to another reporter who has worked on something similar or knows some of the sources, and you know that it takes like a team of people, especially editors, to really make it sing. And they let that come through. You hear it the most clearly in that podcast uh, more than any other podcast I've ever listened to. Number two, S-Town. Is that a true crime podcast? That's my- <laughs> it starts off like it, but it's so good. Come on. It is so good. I just have a really hard time calling it a true crime podcast. What was the crime? What was the crime? Aside from the stuff that Tyler did after the podcast came out. Right, right. <laughs> maybe the, maybe this, the crime was the tattooing of his back. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But uh, Well, there's, a, there's an accusation, obviously, of a crime, which is what kicks off the narrative, which was really smart. But I believe, I will always believe until someone tells me it's 100% definitely not true, that S-Town started as a This American Life story and then wet, and then when John McLemore committed suicide, it became a podcast. That's what I believe happened. I, I, yeah. Until someone tells me otherwise, that's what I'm going to continue to yeah, believe I think, happened. I think you're right. And, and lastly, In the Dark, season two, um, Curtis Flowers. I mean, it, 
it's incredible. The Supreme Court. I know you you did an interview with Madeline, correct? Yes, I actually know Madeline a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I wrote her a note thanking her for inspiring uh, reporters everywhere because I've never seen reporting so exciting. Yeah, and and the boring part of reporting, right? When she's like, like the literally the, the walking on the knocking on doors, the filling out spreadsheets, like that's the boring part of reporting. Walking through the mud and like crawling through the the. <laughs> The tunnel. The tunnel, and going to the the place where the pl- where the records burned, and finding the file, you know, that survived the fire. It, it's just this is incredible, incredible stuff. It's also, you know, what I think really makes that podcast sing, and it shouldn't, because this is what I'm about to say is the opposite of singing. It has so much restraint. They have so much journalistic restraint and style restraint. They don't do a ton with music. They don't do a ton with trying to make Mad- – I mean, Madeline sounds in her tracking just like she sounds when she's talking to people on the street. She doesn't have, like, a dramatic voice and then, like, a day-to-day voice. They – when they do, like, a, a supplemental episode or a bonus or they want to tell a certain part of the story – One of the things that frustrates me about the industry right now, um, especially in the space of true crime, and, you know, I'm just going to single out one network in particular who right now is pumping out some great work, and that's Wondery. Uh, They really have made a shift, I think, and they're really doing some more journalism partnerships that are making a lot of their shows very, like, uh, journalistically sound and better than they used to be. However, there is, like, a format that Wondery, which is a business after all, um, puts every podcast into like you know the ad breaks are going to occur like at a specific time in the podcast and with a specific distance apart and you know there's going to be a certain sound and it's going to have a certain episode length and a certain feel in the dark does what a great you know journalist does a great journalism team does they give you what you need they don't make it more because they feel like they have to and they don't take away something because they feel like it'll be too long they give you what you need it is so restrained that way and i love it i absolutely love it they let the characters talk for themselves they back their shit up with incredible interviews and data reporting they can make statements like this is racist because they've actually done the due diligence to show you that it is. Um, it's it's restraint in both directions. Like they give so what, because they have so much restraint. When they give it to you, you know it's real, and that's what makes it extraordinary. Do you have any idea what she's doing for season three? No, but I also do know that they are going to be. I mean, the Flowers case. They they are the like paper of record, basically. Yeah, they are. In this yeah. case, so they're not going to stop doing that. So I think that they're you know expanding the team. I do know that they are working on something. I don't know what it is. I've uh, I did. I've met now Samara um, Freemark, who runs the team. Uh, Natalie Jablonski, who's a producer, was on a panel that I did, and I know Madeline. We've talked a bunch and. I hosted their um, bonus episode, and like she's been on my show a bunch. And I know that I always ask that question, and I know they're working on something. I'm dying to know what it is. I'm dying. <laughs> Me too. Hey, thank <laughs> you so much. Uh, you've been great, and keep putting out that great show. Uh, you inspire a lot of people on this end. Oh, I can't believe you listened to it. Really, you've way more important things to do. But thank you, <laughs> thank you so much, Keith. It's wonderful talking to you. All right, we'll talk soon. We will. Crime Beat, Season 2, was produced by the Southern California News Group. The executive editor was Frank Pine. The senior editor was Todd Harmonson. Audio editing, mixing, and music by Kevin Sablon. Field recording and videos by Jeff Gritchen. Graphics by Kurt Snibby.
And I want to give special thanks to podcasters who inspired this work. Amy Wilson and Amber Hunt on Accused, Sarah Koenig on Serial, Brian Reed on S-Town, Chris Gofford on Dirty John, Madeline Barron on In the Dark, Nate DeMeo on The Memory Palace, and Phoebe Judge on Criminal. The best way you can support this podcast is to give us high ratings, write great reviews, and tell your friends to check out our work. Also, you can listen to Crime Beat Season 1, Stealing Nixon's Millions. That story was the inspiration behind the 2019 movie Finding Steve McQueen, starring Forrest Whitaker, Travis Fimmel, Rachel Taylor, and William Fickner. Thanks for listening. Here's more information on the play Arsenic and Old Lace at the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. The play is scheduled to run from January 24th through February 16th. Use the promo code AUNTBOGO, A-U-N-T-B-O-G-O, for a discount on tickets at lamaradatheater.com.